You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. All right, welcome to Why We Do What We Do. I will be your hopefully still relevant and ever humble host, Abraham. Yes, and I will be your staying out of the limelight and never doing anything to get me canceled co-host Shane. <laughs> Our longest titles yet. <laughs> it just We just add and add and add. Like uh, I had, my uncle had a cat named Alejandro Garcia Jimenez III. Uh, he had this really long cat name for a really fat cat that couldn't walk in his house. So that's what we're going for. Fair. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the podcast. And we are a psychology podcast. We like to talk about all kinds of issues and relate them to psychology, talk about how they work and why people do it and what the implications are. And then sometimes we'll do things that are a little less related. But the beauty of choosing a name like why we do what we do is that we can talk about pretty much anything. Yeah, it's kind of nice. Yeah, that's what we like to do. So today... As we mentioned, wait, should we do an intro for this or should we just enjoy our topic? I was going to do an intro for this, but I'm not, I'm not sure where to go with it because, you know, I have such a, an aversion to mustard in general, like that the minute that we even talk about that, the person that, that enjoys it's canceled. So, all right, well, prepare to cancel me, but <laughs> you may begin. Okay. So we are talking about how anybody who likes mustard is just the worst person and they shouldn't have a social media presence and they should just go host a podcast somewhere about psychology and just not, I mean, they just, God, I hate mustard so much. I, it makes me, it enrages me to think about, I can't even put together a sentence because I hate mustard so much. So, you know, we're at the stage now where we just have to cancel mustard. Factually, one of my favorite condiments is mustard. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's why I had to go into this. I was like, I just wanted to see how you responded, but you're handling okay. it with such grace. You're so good. <laughs> I, okay. I, I was thinking about We've aligned in so many different ways, like we're on crunchy peanut butter, we're on grape jelly, but apparently mustard is where the line gets drawn. <laughs> I will say this, mustard and pickles, if I could cancel pickles, I would. That's my thing. But Do you hate sandwiches? I love sandwiches. I just love real condiments and not bogus ones. Disagree. It's been really nice to be on the show with you. This will be the last show that I'm on. <laughs> so basically what we're trying to do here is we're talking about cancel culture in, in this really kind of funny, goofy way, but it's become this pretty pervasive thing on social media and and social media is essentially this magnifying glass for society that includes those dark corners of the internet or the world that holds space for people like bronies and Nickelback fans. And so we, so we know the world (laughs) is this big expansive thing and social media just kind of adds a magnifying glass to it. But on these platforms, you see trending topics that catch like wildfire. You see people kind of like explode in hashtags. And this includes people who are canceled. So today's topic is specifically about cancel culture, what it is. We're going to kind of dig into this uh, quite a bit today. Cancel this photograph. (laughs) Man, I saw a comedian that talked about like, hey man, give Nickelback a chance. They didn't do nothing wrong. They're just a happy bunch of people trying to make music. Okay. I I don't agree with them. There's, yeah, there's something to unpack there. I mean, what they did wrong was the music that they made. Trying to make music is a fair description of what they're doing. Yeah. Not making music, but trying, not succeeding. So when I teach <laughs> courses now, I had to move away from a Nickelback reference because it's gotten so old. Now I have to use Imagine Dragons in its place. Oh, got it. Yeah, yeah. and I think for those fans of you out there who listen to Nickelback, and there's probably one, but the, those of you who do find yourselves to be fans of Nickelback, it's more about us making the joke than it is about us trying to really criticize your taste in music. Yeah, so says you. It's an easy target 
to to go after. And yeah. then Imagine Dragons is next, apparently. Yeah, they're they're next in line. So yeah. <laughs> we digress. Okay, today's topic is cancel culture. So what we're gonna unpack here is what does it mean to get canceled? And in this episode, we're gonna try to answer these questions. What is cancel culture? Why is cancel culture? <laughs> and why might cancel culture be a problem? And is there a more beneficial way to attend to social misbehavior? And so we're going to kind of try to unpack this a little bit. Why is Gamora? <laughs> One of my favorite lines ever in a movie. Yeah. So this is also known as call out culture. Bet you didn't know that. <laughs> and includes a public shaming or ostracism of someone for an action statement or type of behavior. And we're introducing a new segment here that I'm tentatively calling ah vocabulary. Ah, <laughs> I'm going to define really quick ostracizing. Most people will be familiar with this term, but essentially it just means to exclude from society or from a group, similar to the term pariah. Actually, pariah is such a good word too. Ah, it's vocabulary. Good. Yeah, <laughs> vocabulary right. complete. Nailed it. So welcome to our podcast. Why we dictionary? What we dictionary? <laughs> Sure. So essentially this term began to take place and kind of maybe because it's it's been something that's happened. People getting called out, people being held accountable on some level. But the term cancel culture started to take more of a complete shape around 2017 as a form of cultural boycotting. And essentially what's happening here is now we have a term for how people get called out and held accountable for things they do. Perfect. And I mean, not perfect, as we'll get into, but <laughs> having the term is useful. And so the, the targets of cancel culture can be kind of anybody, right? You can be individuals. It can be organizations. I think it can even be terms. There are lots of things that can be canceled. Individuals may be called out for many things. All these organizations might be, but I think most often you will see things like socially inappropriate behavior, and we'll get to some examples of that. Organizations might be canceled due to their actions outside of their product, Goya comes to mind. Mm -hmm. So Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A, Target, Walmart. I'm sure that there's like 51% of the country is not buying Goya beans any longer <laughs> because they align themselves with a particular political party and or person really more than more than the party. And so that they kind of got canceled. Yeah. I mean, there's at least 7 million people that are not. hi <laughs> That's a reference <laughs> to the number of votes that were different from the political parties that that were voted on in this last election. Okay, so folks who are the target of a cancel culture movement are often described as being canceled. So they get canceled and are unceremoniously ejected from cultural circles. So you'll see this happen where if somebody's identified as canceled, they will be targeted, they will be called out, and then they may lose privileges or and we're going to kind of get into like different examples of this and how far this how far reaching this can go, but they'll get ejected from these cultural circles. Yeah, and sometimes, as you said, the unceremonious part of this is that you don't necessarily know that you've been canceled. It's not like people are like, warning, canceled. Although, I think that more recently, the news has started to describe things as being canceled. But what's interesting is it's having a reverse effect where it actually just brings more attention to that thing, and it's less canceled than the just being ejected. So, kind of just kind of an interesting thing. And so this isn't a new concept, as you mentioned at the beginning, that this is something that has definitely occurred. People have frequently boycotted, blocked, or otherwise tried to socially shut down an individual or a group of individuals for some reason. And what has changed is this has been made much easier by the way 
augmented access to information and the ease of communication. So the ability to spread that information is almost instantaneous. It can reach the entire planet in seconds, whereas even maybe 15, 20 years ago, it, it just couldn't spread that quickly. When we start describing trending topics, that's exactly what it is. It becomes a trending topic. It trends upward in a way that people start accessing this information more and more and more. Now, essentially what happens is, is when you cancel someone, it's a type of social punishment for socially unacceptable behavior or, or something that's happened. So in the U.S., we've seen a lot of celebrities canceled over the last couple of years due to mistreatment of their employees, <clears throat> Ellen DeGeneres, or for their problematic takes on the trans community, <clears throat> J.K. Rowling or just deplorable behavior, Harvey Weinstein, right? I mean, you see this, like there are, there are varying levels of cancellation. Now, let me go ahead and say this. I am not saying that Harvey Weinstein and Ellen DeGeneres or JK Rowling are on the same level. Obviously, Harvey Weinstein is the worst in yeah. that situation. Say so deplorable isn't even enough of an adjective for to describe him. It, it's certainly not. It's certainly not. So, but what we're saying here is that you can see within these different examples that there are varying degrees of cancellation because people still like Harry Potter. People still watch Ellen DeGeneres, but we're going to get into like even more about how this happens and how it impacts these different people at these varying degrees. Right. And for some getting canceled is that's kind of it. Like that's the punishment. And and therefore that is the end of punishment, whereas others may face more severe punishment. Harvey Weinstein mm -hmm. and Ghislaine Maxwell. And Bill Cosby is definitely canceled for good. Yeah. And so, yeah, like some of these are simply it's a lot harder to get work and attention in social areas. And some it is you go to jail or in some cases die. When you talk about cancel culture, there's so much to be said about social currency within that. But there are legal ramifications and stuff and there are financial implications too. And so we'll, we'll get into all that, but Dr. Jill McCorkle discusses the relevance of cancel culture as a historical pattern of behavior and, and quote, cancel culture is an extension of, or a contemporary evolution of a much bolder set of social processes that we can see in the form of banishment. They are designed to reinforce the set of norms end quote. So Essentially, what we can conclude is that a cancellation or cancel culture is kind of a, an evolved version, like almost like a digital version, too, of a banishment when somebody doesn't meet the expectations of what we've described as social norms or what's socially appropriate. Yeah. Thinking about in the it was either the episode of the South Park movie where they set the, the guy adrift on the iceberg. <laughs> yeah. And and just sort of push him out to sea on the iceberg. <laughs> And that, that was how they banished that person. They said, I'm not your guy, buddy. I'm not your buddy friend. I'm not your friend guy. <laughs> and that person is gone. And that person is gone. Just you have to see. And, I, and they've done other versions of that. And that actually may have been a real practice. I didn't look into it for this. But the point being that banishment is obviously a very, very old practice. And the, so the idea of this is just, uh, it's a new modern spin on, on an old idea. So I think it's worth then looking into what is the concept of justice here. Yeah. Right. And so one, one of the primary outcomes of cancel culture is that is this idea of justice or retribution being served. So, okay, we need to define our terms. So noun is just behavior or treatment. So when we're yeah. talking about justice, so you said sort of circular there because it's defining itself. It's the worst definition that I could find, but basically just behavior is just like moral behavior. Like, the, like when you talk about just the way I always frame it is like a just war, 
You know, so like there is a very specific definition of what's a just war and a just war would be something like entering into a, a war where there is some kind of justification. Like when we entered into World War II, that was a just cause for entering the war. Right. However, entering Iraq or Iran for, quote unquote, weapons of mass destruction, that was an unjust occupation of a country so like you see the difference between like there's like moral good and stuff like that within it but it gets a little bit complicated because then you start talking about morals and what's appropriate and all that but essentially what we are talking about here though in this theory of justice and this idea of justice is that we want to see people get what they deserve just desserts just desserts right we want people to get what they deserve, especially when they do something wrong. But there are many ways to approach this. We've talked about the theories of justice before. We've covered it in a previous episode. I can't remember which episode we did cover it in, but we did talk about it. Right. But it, it's definitely worth looking at it again, just as a refresher. So to kind of orient to why people might be motivated to do this type of thing. And the first one we want to talk about is this idea of utilitarianism. And so the goal of utilitarianistic justice would be that we want to maximize the welfare across all individuals who might be impacted by the discretion or the violation. And so this could be done through deterrence, rehabilitation, or incapacitation. Basically, we say everybody needs to benefit. So we're going to deter the problem. We're going to make it so that this isn't going to be a problem. We're going to make it scary for people to engage in this. We're going to rehabilitate those who have a problem. And then we're going to incapacitate those that continue to engage in the problem. This is the company policy for discipline in Amazon. <laughs> Just kidding. You know what's scary is I believe that I read an article that said Jeff Bezos gave everybody a brand new Gatorade bottle to pee in for Christmas bonuses. I hope that that's fake. <laughs> I think it was Babylon B or onion or something okay. like that. So yeah, Got it was it. definitely fake, but it was like, uh, Oh, that's yeah. The, satire where satire works is there's a fine line of truth in it. <laughs> right. And again, easy punching bags. And we ruined our shot at advertising with Amazon a long time ago. But, you know, <laughs> it's was we'll take cheap shots at the, the mammoth that is Amazon. So, yeah, we're punching up. All right. So the utilitarianism, we also have retributivism and restorative justice. And so with retributivism, why did I, I torture myself with saying that twice? The idea is that consequences matter and that there must be balance. And so for any wrongdoing, punishment must be handed down regardless of the outcomes related to the punishment, which is to say something bad needs to happen to you because of a bad thing that you've done, right? right. We need you to feel bad. This is the, you are event. We will be avenged sevenfold <laughs> <laughs> biblical thing, but also banned. Yeah. It's like, we will get our vengeance on you, you know, over and over again. But either way that if something bad happens to me or someone else and something bad happens to you as a result. Yeah. And then with restorative justice, the, the primary focus is to rehabilitate the offender. So you want to basically give that person an opportunity to restore or fix the issue. Victims of the offender also take part in this process as a means to help repair or restore the damage that was done. So I tend to be a fan of restorative justice. I think that makes sense, you know, working towards healing and kind of progressing forward. But, you know, everybody's got their different perspectives. But here's the thing with all of this that's, that we've said and kind of that we've described, understanding that justice is a part of this cancel culture thing gives us an idea of identifying what the actual problem is. So that's going to be our next question. What is the problem with cancel culture? Yeah, which is to say, is there a problem with cancel culture? And I think a lot of a lot of people definitely think so, particularly those who have been canceled. And some people are kind of in favor of it. And I I feel like I can see both sides. But let's unpack what the the potential issues here are in this, because I think that's probably the more relevant piece. And essentially, cancel culture aims to punish and maybe permanently punish abhorrent social behavior. So if the goal is accountability, this is one way to publicly 
old people accountable for their actions, especially if those actions are socially unacceptable. I think that we could probably both agree that we don't really have a problem with people being held accountable for their actions. Like that in itself is not the issue, right? Like that's kind of a core thing that goes along with cancel culture, but it's not the issue, right? So the problem is there are a few inherent issues in the area of cancel culture that we have to identify. And the first one's going to be this idea of the prosecuting party motive. So what does that mean? So let's take out social media for a second. And let's think of this like, uh, let's say an event happens. Let's remove social media as the, the mechanism by which this cancel culture kind of takes fire. There wouldn't actually be a record of off-colored commentary or problematic things from decades prior. You're not going to see Jimmy Fallon get canceled for blackface because there's not going to be a record of that happening somewhere or like some problematic statements. Like even Trevor Noah, when he became the host of The Daily Show, was canceled for a minute because of some problematic jokes that he had made in his past, like decades before he came on The Daily Show. Now, it would be really difficult to also create a blazing social movement without that interconnectedness that comes along with social media. And many outcries would go unheard. You wouldn't hear a lot of people making those claims in the media. It wouldn't take it wouldn't take hold the same way. So we have this idea of like, what is the prosecuting party's motive when it comes to cancel culture? All right. So given this, this context, I think we have to ask the question, what is the motive for canceling? Is it the attention garnered for the initial call out or is it the elimination of the social issue, right? So essentially the people who are sort of doing this canceling, what do they get out of this? Is it because people will say good on you for calling out that person and for leading the charge on this cancellation or is their motivation what they get out of this that they have dealt with a something they view as a social problem? Maybe it's a little bit of both, right? Right. Probably depending on the person. Now, Note, we're not saying to believe all victims here at all, because there are definitely people who are going to try and play the victim to get someone canceled just to get them canceled. I don't think it's the majority of the time, but it is something to happen. So we're not we're just not making a unilateral claim about what is the right thing to do in terms of how to respond to victims or I guess people who are claiming to be victims here. But social media as a whole lends itself to attention-seeking behavior, so it is worth accounting on some level, do you have someone who is being insidious with this? And that's something that always creeps up when you have these power dynamics that somebody is going to try and exploit that. And I'm always on the side of like, I want to believe victims, I want to be in support of them, I don't want to blame victims, and that means that there's an opportunity for people to creep in there and pretend to be a victim so that they can get some kind of... I think coverage for themselves, you know, it's sort of a, right. It's sort of a shield that they get to put up by having that happen. Yeah. Just to be clear on this, like we're not saying that people just make these claims to make these claims all the time. There are a rare few that do that, that will call somebody out and, and blow that up and blow up their spot and all that stuff. We, we understand that what we're saying is like under the, under the guys and under the, just the mechanism of social media, that people have motivations. Human beings have these motivations that we have to attend to. So are we saying that everybody who's making a claim should not be believed? Absolutely not. That's not even close to what we're saying. What we're saying is that just you have to understand the human motivation to understand kind of how these types of things come about and how the social, like the, the cancel culture type of issue might kind of unfold. Right. Yeah. So I think generally the platform or that the stance that we would take is Err on the side of victims, give them an opportunity to be heard out, listen to what they have to say, and make a, you know, I guess an informed decision. 
but like let's treat all people as being genuine i think yep absolutely so the second problem we run into is you know the question of what is the definition of appropriate what have we identified as appropriate to be canceled or not to be canceled. And and so we hold some social standards of behavior that are deemed moral or acceptable, right? You see that kind of generally occurring in the zeitgeist of humanity. In any sort of culture, there is like a, uh, what is moral, what's acceptable. And there are behaviors that we can agree on. Murder and varying degrees of assault, like physical or sexual assault are bad. We can all agree on that. At least most people can agree on that. Exposing people to COVID is bad. But then we have to start looking at those things we can identify as clearly there's a wrong answer in these scenarios. But there are some situations which aren't as clear, right? And you see this a lot in comedy where people make a joke and it becomes how far is too far. And that's where we start kind of losing this like really clear definition of what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. Yeah. And, and without a definition of appropriateness, we we lack the ability to really objectively hold people account. I mean, as, as objective as can be in that situation, but to hold people accountable to that sort of thing. So another issue to consider here is that there is no sentence limit for the accused because this is an informal, unceremonious process. Essentially, there's no return criteria for the offset of cancelization. Like how do you get out of being canceled? And the fact that there is no term limit on this, there's no statute limitations. This can pose a problem. And that means that all offenses are sort of treated similarly. And are there more egregious discretions that someone might make? Yeah, of course they might make. Like someone might make a gaffe where they say something inappropriate, but then someone who actively does something that results in real harm, I think, should be treated differently. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, when we talk about this idea of getting canceled, like when we talk about what's appropriate and what's not, and and there's no sentence for it, this can mean really significant issues for that person. We have to ask the question of where does it stop, though? And our legal systems allow for sentencing. Yes, we know it's flawed. Yes, there's a lot of problems, and we understand that. But at least there is a some kind of criterion by which somebody is sentenced. There's a charge. Their charge is over. Like They've served their time, whatever that time is, and then they can move on from that point. There is a re-entry criterion for that. But with cancel culture, there's not a clear stopping point for when the punishment is supposed to end. Now, since many of the issues in cancel culture do not rise to the level of sort of being illegal, the judgment and punishment are based on pretty variable criteria. I think it tends to be whatever is sort of popular at the time, whether this offense has happened before, what happened to the last person, how people are feeling in the moment. I'm sure that there's a lot of variables that are in there, but it's really inconsistent and you just never know. Like somebody might do something wrong and have their whole career ended and then a month later, somebody is exposed for doing the exact same thing. And people are like, oh, what a jerk. And then they move on and that's it. You have a very wide range of possible outcomes. I think another issue here to talk about what could be wrong with cancel culture is that it does not really always attend the nuance of the discretion of the person who is being canceled, which is to say, again, each cancelization is unique and that the action person and atonement are all accounted for on some level. And this brings us back to our example with Ellen DeGeneres. Just to kind of highlight this, Ellen DeGeneres has been doing damage control based on the stories of her workplace conditions since about May of 2020. So what's been going on is there were management staff that were harassing people. There were people that, that claimed sexual misconduct. There was a lot of stuff that's kind of come out. And so she's been kind of trying to do damage control because she reported that she was not aware of the issues going on. She's reported to aim to resolve them. It's also been discussed that she mistreats her staff or treats them as lesser. Those stories are starting to come out more and more and more. And, and at the time that we're recording this, this is 
December of 2020. So this is seven months later. Okay. So at the time of this recording, she's lost advertisements for the show. So this is six months later since all these stories coming out. She's lost advertisements for the show, which means she's losing money for the show. Guests have canceled their appearances. The show's ratings have diminished and leading people. They're actually talking about the show actually being canceled, not just canceled from a cancel culture standpoint. They're talking about it actually being canceled because of the serious issues that have come up with these reports coming out. Now, Keep this in mind. None of these are illegal. Th- I mean, mis- sexual misconduct and harassment, definitely illegal. But mistreating staff or kind of like treating people like you're better than them is not an illegal thing. However, this is somebody's career that is gone. It's going to be gone if it continues on. And there's no re-entry criterion for this person that we can see at this moment. You know, she's come out and apologized. She's come out and made mention that she's going to try to attend to things and try to work on things and get rid of the staff and and, and do all these things that are that are a problem, like that are trying to fix the problem. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's still something that is a continuous aggression and there's no end in sight for her. And also, it made me think like we were just making jokes about people treating their employees poorly. And there are examples of this where the employees are demonstrably treated really poorly. and yet people because the service they provide is now viewed as being so essential people are sort of like well i mean what are we gonna do can't cancel amazon can't cancel apple right guess we'll just keep on keeping on and cancel those people that are low stakes that are just entertainers even when what they've done is significantly less harmful than those others that we refuse to you know really say anything about right absolutely so for some folks their star power celebrity might return them to a standard of living more quickly than if they were everyday citizens. So let's take some examples of some of these. Now, first is what you might call Central Park Karen. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a legitimate, like in the headlines and stuff, she's references Central Park Karen. So when you look oh, her up, that. that's the that's the article that'll come up. Yeah. <laughs> I knew immediately who you were talking about though. Yeah. And so this is the one, this is 2020, I believe. And she had to surrender her dog, lost her job, and was formally charged with false reporting to the police after a video of her calling the police on Christian Cooper. And I believe that if I'm remembering the story correctly and correct me if I'm wrong, that essentially Christian Cooper is a dark skinned person who was bird watching yep. in Central Park. And she called the cops on him thinking that he was what, like a, a thief or something. So he asked her to le- to put the dog on the leash or something like that. He asked something that was like socially appropriate, like, hey, you're in the park. Your dog should be leashed, something like that. And she lost her, like, just kind of like just blew up, called the police, was threatening, uh, saying that, you know, he was trying to attack her and all the stuff. And it really became this this kind of widespread phenomenon. She's she's like since apologized and made note that what she did was wrong and all that. However, she's lost her job, had to get rid of her dog in was actually coming into contact with formal police charges. Now that's a lot of stuff to happen to this single person. When we start looking at this though, like you see people like Louis CK, right? Who had a, an issue where he was canceled like years ago for sexual misconduct, but he just released a new comedy special after all the backlash. And during his cancellation, no charges were pressed. So you've got central park Karen who made one call and now is being charged. But Louis CK has a comedy special on Netflix that he, that you can go watch disproportionate for sure right lana del rey was recently canceled for wearing a mesh mask during the pandemic obviously the recommendation here is an actual mask that covers your face and traps and i think the the most recent recommendation that i saw was three layers a three-layered mask is the ideal layer of protection for these at least at least two but um i, I think i saw three recently 
And so this is someone who just was not being careful with the pandemic. And so like you're seeing kind of like where, you know, as far as you know, she still released a book. She's still popular as all get out. So you're not seeing like these huge issues from these people. Of course, there's Aunt Jemima, Uncle Ben, these things. These were companies that make delicious pancake dressing <laughs> and other food items was also canceled. Again, no charges were pressed, but there's definitely a lot of rebranding going on. And I think there was another team that just uh, sports team that changed their name recently. SNL did a whole skit. Cleveland Indians. Yeah, that's what it was. Cleveland Indians. SNL did a whole skit about this. There was also a skit about this on the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt show on on Netflix, where they were. She really wanted the the Redskins to change their names, and they realized that people were more people were buying their jerseys to set them on fire and protest of the Redskins than they were buying <laughs> their jerseys to support the team. And so she talked them into changing their name to the gun takers. And then <laughs> <laughs> I think it was, it was something like that. And then people were buying the shirts to protest, protest them, but the, they just wanted to sell more shirts. And so like, whatever they're buying them for, we don't care. Um, as long as, <laughs> right. as long as people are buying them, we're, we're good with it. Oh, that's what happened with Nike. You remember when everybody was burning all their Nike gear because of Colin Kaepernick? And it was like, but you bought that. That's yours to use. And now it's not yours to use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So interesting stuff. So uh, another issue that we run into here is that there's no statute of limitations. So essentially what happens is the issue of permanency playing a role. Whatever gets put out on social media tends to stay there, stays there for a long time. And what ends up happening is there is no time limit for when you can get punished or how long that punishment will last. So there's no, we talked about no re-entry criteria. There's no opportunity for atonement, nothing. If you messed up, you lose sometimes. So for example, we understand that blackface is wrong. Let's just go. I don't know why anybody has a statement outside of that. We understand blackface is wrong. However, yeah. Jimmy Fallon was canceled due to a skit with Chris Rock on SNL where he wore blackface. So if you go back, I can I can guarantee that if you go back and watch any SNL from the last for the entirety of the, the show, there are some yeah. problematic sketches on there. Absolutely. Okay. Jimmy Fallon has since come out and apologized about the incident. He even thanked people for holding him accountable. I mean, he he attended to it pretty gracefully. That sounds like the right move. That is the right move. However, the incident took place in 2000. This was 20 years ago that he's being held accountable for something that was not necessarily socially appropriate. We understand that, but it was something that he was canceled for that was maybe more, I guess, accepted at that time. You know, so I'm not saying that's what it was, but just the idea of he's having to atone for something that happened 20 years ago, like that's been kind of done with, you know? Yeah, there's a lot of this sort of digging through the archives. This happened with James Gunn and why he was mm -hmm. taken off of the Gardens of the Galaxy 3 for a while was from things where people go through the archives to find stuff to cancel someone and those these things come up, you know, and so... For, for whatever intention, and I'm not saying it's what they did was wrong or right in either way, just that that is part of this is that it's not necessarily something that's contemporary. A lot of these are reacting to things that happened long in the past. And while I think we don't condone those things that happened in the past that are inappropriate by today's standards, it is worth understanding that at the time that those things took place, that person probably had very little frame of reference for thinking that what they were doing was wrong in some of these cases. And a lot of them, it was clear that it was wrong then, and it's clear that it was wrong now. But in, there are some cases where like, those are things, there are some movies from the nineties that are nearly impossible to watch because of all the homophobic humor that are in them, the transphobic yeah. humor that are in them, the body shaming that is in a lot of those old humor and those jokes. And like, they don't age well because we've moved on from that. And at the time, everyone thought that was just hilarious. 
And so they were cashing in on what they thought was going to be a, a well-received joke. And at the time it was well-received for a lot of people. And so those are things that it just is useful to have that historical context. Let's go and provide another example around the statute of limitations. Okay. Are you familiar with Frank Loesser? No. All right. Well, Frank is also canceled in 1944. Get out of here, Frank. Yeah, you're done, Frank. You're done in this timeline, I guess, 80 years later. In 1944, he released a song, Baby It's Cold Outside, which has stirred up quite a bit of controversy, given that its lyrics aren't consent friendly. I mean, when you listen to it, it seems like the guy's a little bit pushy. I definitely get that sense listening to how it's, yeah, I, I understand the, the the fact that this seems like it's being very sexually aggressive toward a, a woman. Yeah. And so, you know, should the tone and the lyrical content be discussed? Absolutely. It's worth a discussion. It's worth looking at that as a problematic narrative. Absolutely. Have times changed? Most definitely. Where we're having the, the discussions around consent, but you're applying a set of morals, shifting morals, you're applying them in a new, in a different context. And I think that's where some of the cancel culture becomes a little bit of an issue is we have a, a better understanding of the world today. We have a better understanding of the issue of consent today. We have a better understanding of, of all the cultural shifts that have happened in the 80 years, and we're applying a new set of rules to a previously occurring thing, right? And so we have to be mindful of that, and that's sometimes where in cancel culture, those discussions get lost. Where this becomes a discussion is not about the content, but about the time frame. It becomes an issue of we're applying new rules to an old issue. Yeah, to, to like old standards that aren't relevant anymore. Right. So, I mean, yes, the issue of consent is an issue that we need to talk about. And we agree with the problematic nature of those lyrics. Putting it in a context, it's not really fair to apply a new set of rules to an old standard, at least, at least on some level. Yeah. And I think you can certainly say we don't feel comfortable listening to the song and what it implies. So we're not going to play it anymore. And that's different from saying, like, Frank, you're canceled. Right. And I think that's sort of the at least the approach that I would take is like understanding that like i don't feel comfortable listening to that song i'm not going to play it i'm not going to seek it out and that like that's my my version of this is to just not employ that anymore but i'm not going to go out and say like we should you know string him up and and go after frank because i don't want to say his last name because i feel like i'm pronouncing it wrong loser i'm gonna say loser okay loser that's sort of where i'm feeling with this yeah i think the next part of this is thinking just about apologies and and where apologies are demanded are they accepted i uh, look back at our episode we did on apologizing uh, this was episode one or just 97 so almost 100 episodes ago from from this one <laughs> does the apology wipe the slate clean probably not right like just apologizing isn't going to do it for a lot of these people but for some it will certainly help but yeah like what's the function of an apology yeah, so essentially an apology is a re-entry pro-social behavior that allows the criminal or the offender to re-enter society through accepting what they've done or doing something wrong. Now, we understand, too, that this only works if the victim accepts the apology, which they certainly don't have to do. There have been plenty of times where I have not accepted an apology. You know, I've learned to say, instead of saying it's okay when somebody does something, I'm like, I appreciate your apology and kind of moving forward instead of giving, like, you know, kind of that permission. But understanding that, that an apology is not necessarily always going to be your re-entry criterion. Bill Cosby cannot apologize for what he's done. Like that's not going to help him. And some people aren't going to apologize if that means that they're admitting guilt. Right. And there might be reasons for them to not, to not want to do that. So cool. Let's move on to the next one, which is the hypocrisy and expectation. And I think there's something in here that a call out sometimes comes with the lack of insight or self-awareness for the person doing the calling out. 
as an example here, during the Democratic primaries, Pete Buttigieg was what a great name. I know I like it. Was pressed by Elizabeth Warren about accepting donations from wealthy sources, and he responded with, "Quote: This is the problem with issuing purity tests. You yourself cannot pass." Essentially saying, like, this is something you do, we do, we all do. This is part of the game. And, you know, I guess you're sort of saying we're acknowledging this is the game and we're saying that that's, that's okay. And there's, there's a different conversation about whether or not we're all on board with that. That is the game. But, but yeah, like, there's, that's just part of this here is the sort of calling out thing. You know, it's not practical to believe that any one person will act in an exclusively saintly or just way 24-7. People are going to mess up. Nobody is perfect. And, and understanding that is great. They're all products of their environments. We are all products of our environment, all of which vary infinitely. There are an infinite amount of variables that contribute to our worlds that we live in. To expect everyone to behave in a manner that conforms to rules that are never explicitly laid out and always changing is unfair and very difficult. The only person that is exclusively saintly and just is Dolly Parton. Agreed. <laughs> Thank the Lord for Dolly Parton. Let's just we are a pro Dolly Parton podcast uh, <laughs> right now. Hopefully that doesn't come back later. We get we're gonna get canceled twenty years later when she, when something comes out of her closet. Yeah. And we're like, oh, that's another issue that we didn't put in the notes here. But what has happened is people who have historically shown support for people who later got canceled, then sometimes the people who showed support for that person got canceled from having shown the support in the past. So it'd be like, let's say someone. 20 years ago was like oh that kevin spacey what a great guy and then kevin spacey mm -hmm. the thing went down with kevin spacey and then people came out and said that that person said he was a great guy get him yeah and so it's like i feel like sometimes i want to sing the praises of people who i admire and it's such a bummer when it turns out that like they were doing shady stuff that i had no idea about and then it looks bad because you know I, just a year ago i was just saying how great this person was and then we find out that like all the stuff has come out about how terrible they were and I'm like, I don't want to get canceled because I was saying they're great because I had no idea that that was a, that was going on. Not that that would necessarily yeah. happen, but just saying that the guilty by association thing. Yeah, it's a collateral cancellation. All right, let's dig into a little bit of the research and the science here. Bouvier and colleagues in 2020 talked about social media platforms that participate in cancel culture often lack the nuance to identify overt racist sentiments. Ultimately, the onus to cancel someone for problematic behavior falls on the users of the platform, which can make the task of addressing the issue much more complex to deal with, both for the platform, for the people on the platform, for advocacy groups, that sort of thing. And so there's nuance that can be lost in this. And in these studies that we're going to talk about, the, the primary target you'll find is, is going to be Twitter. Facebook has its own stuff, but most of what they reference is Twitter. And you can kind of see that. And we talked about that before, where we talked about different algorithms being able to pick up on the nuances related to overt racist sentiments and people changing the letters, changing the coding so that it doesn't get right. picked up. So you'll see that that becomes a little bit of a unique thing in these. Now, Norris 2020 identifies cancel culture as a progressive liberal social movement that might actually have an impact on academic debates. So the survey they conducted on political ideologies found that conservative professors were far less likely to share their views. Of note here, though, when we talk about this, is the fact that these are reported perceptions and not entirely based on direct action. So these professors that are reporting that they can't speak out are saying that from a unique individual perspective and not from stuff that's actually happened to them. And not to shine too bright a light on this, but when we were releasing our political episodes prior to the election where we had people on to talk about politics, Somebody else reposted one of them saying something like, thank you for your thoughtful discussion. And then their post got flagged as containing 
unfactual information. Mm-hmm. And all they did was say that they liked the episode and they and they were thanking us for for doing the episode. But that that's the thing that got flagged. And so this this happened during the election of people essentially leaning on these tools that are meant to try and improve the quality to squash any opinion that's not their own, regardless of the content of that opinion. Right. Absolutely. And that is just kind of an insight on how this type of movement can go too far. Yeah. All right. Last one here. I believe I'm going to try this name as Chow. That works. Or maybe just Chu. I'm going to say Chow. In 2020, talked about, we simply do not understand enough about the neurological mechanisms by which cancel culture occurs. Specifically, we don't understand enough about moral righteousness. And so having to say, like, there's something going on at the neurological level that is probably interesting here. And I mean, to an extent, I think there's always something interesting to look at with neurology. And it's not a cause of behavior. It is behavior at a neurological level. And so understanding it tells us something about the relative areas of the brain, but not necessarily about the conditions under which it occurs or how to mitigate it for a lot of people. And I think that there is a long history that builds up to the using cancel culture or hating cancel culture on both sides. So here you'll see, too, I mean, all the studies that we just pulled on cancel culture are from 2020. So it's still a fairly new concept that we don't really understand enough of. So that being said, do you want to get into our take home points? First, I have a quick Donner party factoid. Ooh, excuse me. (laughs) I know out of left field here. And so here's a little factoid provided by our new writer. I'm very excited to have on board with us, Selena Schilling. And it goes like this. Come one, come all have a seat at the Donner party table. Over the course of the next few weeks, we will be documenting a series of unfortunate yet very preventable and predictable events that tells the story of this, how this ambitious group of immigrant settlers became known as the famous family no one would like to have dinner with. To start us off, we shall begin at the end. It has been documented that on December 26th, 1846, is when the decision was made and acted on to start eating the flesh of those who passed. What brought them to this decision? How? Why? And what could you do? Be sure to listen and follow along and find out who are the lucky ones to survive and how their very slow rescue occurred. Sorry, no Uber choppers or lifts were available in 1846. The full release will be coming out in April of this coming year. So there's a little teaser for that. Fun stuff. Okay. Now take homes. Yeah. Now let's do take homes. Let's wrap this up. Uh, Also, the Donner Party is canceled (laughs) because cannibalism should be a cancelable offense. Sure. (laughs) So. Do we agree that people should be held accountable for their actions? Yes. Do we agree that discussions are necessary about that problematic social behavior? Yes. That is all part of it. Our concern is, and it's not even that we disagree or we hate cancel culture. Our concern is, is that some of the discussion or some of the nuance that goes along with these types of discussions or the, the, the holding people accountable tends to get lost. And as you kind of see in the points that we highlighted, that's where it gets lost is, is when can somebody re-enter society? When can they atone for their mistakes? When can things get better for that person in a rehabilitative justice type of standpoint? And, and there's not a really clear criterion for how that might occur within this type of movement. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely possible for cancel culture to go too far. Just as this is the case with just about anything else, everything in moderation, right? So, as you said, we want to hold people accountable. I like the idea that there's some kind of unified social movement to try and select or unselect the kinds of things that we'd like to see in our society. And it's just operating at a very sort of sawed off shotgun level of spray cancel bullets at everything that moves 
and then maybe hopefully it'll stick, you know, or it actually it tends to stick, but it's just not as precise or as fair as it could be. And, you know, I think one of the benefits of having social media is the fact that people can voice their concerns because, you know, we kind of take a rib at social media in this and the issue is not social media. Put it into context, there are people who have been abused and hurt and victimized for centuries without being given a voice to be able to hold those people accountable or to to fight back. And so social media does provide the opportunity for those folks who are victimized to be able to get out in front of it, to stand up to their accusers and get a movement behind them to support them. So there's nothing bad about that in having a support network. It's just the concern of like, at what, where is the line? At what point is too much, too much? I mean, are we going to cancel George Washington? I mean, I think George Washington might've been canceled already. Yeah. I know Thomas Jefferson was definitely canceled and that's fine, whatever. But I, there's going to be a line for what is cancelable, what's not cancelable. Like, you know, there's got to be some kind of like maybe shaping up or molding that into a, a more precise way, like you mentioned. And I think that there's there's one more thing in here that's a useful take on point is just what we mean when we say cancel is that this is either being excluded or ostracized and this or also being talked about in a derisive fashion. This could also mean legal action or widely criticized. And so sometimes canceling looks like a boycott. Sometimes canceling looks like criticism and a lot of it. Sometimes canceling looks like loss of access to money and resources or lack, uh, loss of access to attention getting platforms. PewDiePie. <laughs> <laughs> it like, can look different ways, but essentially it is trying to punish somebody by taking things away from them or causing bad things to happen to them or both. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Alan, one of our note takers here, one of our key folks for our staff here over at uh, Why We Do What We Do, added some closing thoughts because he helped with these notes. And so um, here are a couple things. Ellen joked around with Bush. RBG and Scalia were friends, so we have to deal with that. Chris Pratt is a little on the conservative side behind the scenes, and Obama committed a crime against fashion with his tan suit. So here we are in the space where people get canceled, and they do come back, and they do bounce back, and we do respect people well beyond those smaller actions. So I think we probably need to take a step back and kind of analyze and critically analyze those scenarios and give people a little bit of grace when we can. Yeah, particularly like when we see people who have done something that's relatively unharmful and, and they really take on the action to change their behavior, I'm usually in favor of really supporting changes in behavior that are for the good rather than saying, I don't care what you do now. I will never forgive what you've done. Right. Is like, I'm appreciative of the fact that you are a human being and you are now going to be putting good into the world as opposed to bad. Absolutely. 100%. Shall we move on to recommendations? Let's do it. All right. So we both have movie recommendations today. Yes, and we do. today I am recommending the movie 1917, which I finally got around to seeing. And it is just incredible. And I, I'm, I'm so enamored with the movie that I want to go watch the making of movie because I want to see how they did it because it's that well shot and directed and just super cool. Really enjoyed the movie. And I hope that it hasn't been canceled. There's someone associated with it hasn't been canceled. And I'm like now storing support with them. <laughs> to the best of my knowledge, it hasn't been, but I, I would highly recommend that one. I have it on my list, but I haven't gotten a chance to see it yet. So it's on Showtime. If you have that channel, I'm going to move it up. I'm going to move it up on the list. Mine is also a movie. Mine is the newest Pixar outing, which is called soul. This looks really cute. 
It is just beautiful. I'm always impressed with how far Pixar has come. So if you go, if you ever take a second to go back and watch the first Toy Story and then watch what they put out recently, it is unbelievable the strides they have made in animation, specifically computer animation. I mean, some of the shots in this movie are photorealistic. Unbelievable. I mean, it's like I always joke when a new Pixar movie comes out, I'm like, they're just showing off now. Right. Like they they know what they're doing. They're just showing off. But man, it is so good, especially as a musician. It is just. It is there. Like, I, I I loved it. Now, I could see where people would say it's not the best Pixar movie ever. It's hard to compete with movies like Inside Out and Up and all that. But, man, it is just unreal. So, if you get a chance just to sit down and watch it, you have to sit down and watch it. Because it is just beautifully shot. The animation is really incredible. And it's very creative. Love that. I'm As much as I have to criticize about the Disney machine, their movies are... The Disney and Pixar specifically movies are often just so good Mm -hmm. and just so well thought out. And there's because you see a lot of these other animation studios and there's lots of great animated movies out there. Like uh, the how to train your dragon series is one of my favorite animated, particularly the second one I think was maybe my favorite, but there are some really great animated movies out there. But like for some reason, the people at Disney Pixar, like they really put their time and money into characters and story. Yeah. And then everything else follows because they have all the resources in the world. Yep, absolutely. Uh, That's 100% it. So, All right, perfect. Do you have anything else on uh, cancel culture? Nope, not today. All right, if you're planning to cancel us, please don't. Um, If you have more to say about cancel culture and would like to share that with us so that we can share with the world, then please do. Please reach out to us on all the social media platforms. If you'd like to talk about Solar 1917 or any other movies, we really enjoy those conversations. Shane and I will usually banter a little bit before we hit record, talk about movies and music and pop culture things it's a lot of fun so and those actually often get recorded as bonus episodes which means that you can access those by joining us on patreon subscribe wherever you listen to this you can leave us a rating and review really helps out the show or you can join us on that patreon platform reach out to us because we would like to talk to you anything else shane nope that's gonna be it thank you for recording with me thank you all for listening this is abraham and this is shane we are out see ya you've been listening to why we do what we do Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by our amazing patrons. Thank you. If you like what you heard, consider becoming a patron by heading to patreon.com slash podcast. You can also rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts or share this episode with your friends. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.podcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is researched and produced by Abraham, Ryan O, Shane, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brassier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day. abhorrent ab abhorrent social behavior abhorrent so oh my god retributivism retributivism yeah retributivism retributivism (laughs) am i saying this right retributivism 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 i don't know retributivism retributivism
I'm going to say that. <laughs> oh, I, I sense a, a super cut coming at the end of this episode. That's just me trying to say that word. Uh, 